You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. You can't outgive God. Whatever you give to Him, it always returns to us in a multiple kind of a, a way. You can be sure of that. Notice in verses 14 through 17, And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, he already made this choice, he had already taken the lower seat, and he says, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. For all the land which you see, I give to you. And your descendants forever. It's been said that when you choose to obey God, you can simply leave the consequences of your obedience up to Him. When you choose to tell the truth, even though lying may seem to help you, you can have faith that God will work it out for good. When you choose to stand up for righteousness' sake, even though it may mean persecution at work or school, you can have faith that God will have your back. Today, Pastor Mike will be challenging you to obey God and watch Him bless you abundantly in the long run. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 13 as he begins his message, Lift Your Eyes, Arise, and Walk. Abraham had learned his lesson. God was working a progressive work in Abraham's life. And finally, he had come to the place of leaving his life in God's hands, no matter what the cost, no matter what the outcome. Now, this saying of our Lord's that is recorded for us here in Luke's Gospel is illustrated magnificently here in Abraham's life. Think about this. Yes, Abraham had temporarily lost some prime real estate, you know, taking the lower seat, allowing Lot to choose the primer part of the land of the plain there. By giving Lot first choice in the matter of the land, and moreover, he lost Lot. But God here came to Abraham to let him know that he abandoned nothing that could not be more than compensated for in this life or the one to come. Notice again, back in verses 14 through 17. And so I want you to think about this in a personal way. There's nothing that you'll ever give up for the Lord's sake. You know, that which the Lord is asking you to do. That God isn't going to repay you many times over. We, we need to make sure concerning this truth in our, in our hearts. Because you know what? The gospel does make great demands of us. And there are times where we're going to question whether or not 
It really pays to serve the Lord. But folks, it does pay to serve the Lord. You can't outgive God. Whatever you give to Him, it always returns to us in a multiple kind of a, a way. You can be sure of that. Notice in verses 14 through 17, And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, he already made this choice, he had already taken the lower seat, and he says, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land, though through its land, its width, for I give it to you. So here's the question. Had Abraham lost the best land in taking the lower seat and allowing Lot to take that choicest parcel? No, because God was giving him the entire land of Canaan, including the plain. Had he lost family for the sake of discipleship? Remember, when we are first introduced uh, to Abraham back in chapter 12, he uh, commanded that he be separate, that he separate himself from the members of his immediate family who were idol worshipers, right? So the question, had he lost family for the sake of discipleship? Well, no, because God, according to our text that we just read, was giving him offspring like the dust of the earth, great in number, uh, uncountable. It would have absolutely been impossible. So listen, here's the question. What do we ever give up to walk with God? And the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. So please keep that in mind. When you feel as if God's commandments are making great demands upon you, Please take what I've just said into consideration. There's nothing that you'll ever give up that will return back to you in multiples. But notice here, the prerequisite, Abraham had to do two specific things. What were those two things? Well, first of all, according to our text, he had to lift up his eyes and see what God was giving. And then secondly, he had to walk through the length, the width, of the land, and so possess it as he went. Now, this morning here in our text, we are interested in this looking. That is, and it's put in the form of the phrase, lifting up one's eyes. Now, that brings us to our second point this morning. And by the way, did I mention what our first point is? I don't think I did. <laughs> first point this morning is leaving Leaving all of our choices to God. So that brings us now to our second point, and that is two different kinds of looking. And we touched on this a little bit last week. We put Abraham alongside of Lot. In fact, it was as if God had placed these two individuals alongside of one another for our careful examination, right? So that we would learn the lessons that are served up by both of these men's uh, men's choices, right? To do and not to do. So there are two different kinds of looking. So that's our second point this morning. First of all, let's consider Lot. Notice in verse 10. Let's go back to our text. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, 
that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Now, what kind of uh, looking could be attributed to Lot? Well, his looking was a deep longing, as we've already established last time together, that sprung forth from an uncommitted, covetous heart, an inordinate desire, right? We talked about that last time. If you weren't here, get that, get that message, right? And uh, remember, last week's message was all about principle and having principle, that virtue of principle within our lives. But this was something that was missing in Lot's life. So that kind of looking is attributed to Lot, a deep longing that sprang forth from an uncommitted, covetous heart and inordinate desire. And then you have Abraham's looking, who lifted his eyes at God's command, not longing and also in total obedience. So therein lies the difference between the two. And so we need to lift up our eyes, as did Abraham, to look at what God's commanding us to see and to do. Did you ever hear the story of a man who found a $100 bill on the sidewalk, and then he spent the rest of his life looking down, hoping to find another? But unfortunately, in doing that, he never saw a sunrise. Hey, listen, don't be like that man. Look up and see what God has for you. Now, in the Bible, as we look up, we are challenged to see certain things. And this becomes our third point this morning. That is, we are challenged to see certain things. For example, in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 26 through 28, we are exhorted to look up to the heavens, to the stars, to the planets. Isaiah 40 in verses 26 through 28. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints, nor is weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. Okay, so now, here is some encouragement for those of you that may be here this morning, who feel discouraged, who may be even taking it as far as you're complaining. You're thinking, you know what? My way is hidden from God. I don't understand it. I, I don't know why I hear the testimonies of my other brothers and sisters. Like, for example, we were at the prayer breakfast yesterday morning, and people were around the tables you know, sh sharing breakfast with one another. We were just catching up with one another, and people were talking about you know, the things that are going on in their lives and what God is doing and continues to do in each of those persons' lives. And you may be thinking, man, how come God isn't doing that in my life? 
you know, I've been praying, you know, and, and a part of the prayer breakfast is also we're, we're thanking God for the, the prayers whereby God has already sp- responded to those prayers. He's already answered our prayers, and we're sharing that with our brothers and sisters as an encouragement. And again, we're thinking, as we sit across the table from that person who's sharing that, how come God doesn't listen to my prayer? How come he doesn't answer my prayer? I've been praying, and nothing has changed. Things remain the same. Well, you know, in all of these verses of Scripture here in Isaiah chapter 40, as we look up towards the heavens, this should serve as a great encouragement to us. For those who are exactly like that, discouraged, who are complaining, my way is hidden from the Lord. It it seems as if your cause has been disregarded by God. You're thinking, nobody cares. Well, listen, if this is your focus, here's the problem. You're looking down, and you're focusing in on your problems. And thus you can't see God. Thus you think he can't see you. Listen, what you need to do is you need to look up. Look up to the heavens. Look up to the stars, the planets, the sun, and the moon. And then ask yourself this question. Who made them? Who named them? Who guides them? Who keeps the planets in their orbits? You know, right within, think about this, right within our Milky Way galaxy, astronomers tell us that there are billions of stars not to mention all of the planets and things that we continue to discover. But, you know, because of the new technology that astronomers and science uh, possesses today with the new telescopes and such, now they are suggesting that there is not only one galaxy, our own Milky Way galaxy, but there's the possibility of billions of other galaxies. And within each and every one of those galaxies, there are billions of stars and planets and moons, and suns, and everything that, that we know about our own Milky Way galaxy, right? So think about that. Who made them? Who named them? Who guides them? Who keeps the planets in their orbit? Then ponder whether he knows you. And is he not able to guide you and to provide for your needs? You know, Jesus put it this way in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6 in verses 28 through 30. So why do you worry about your clothing? And this, of course, would include, if you look at it in context, it would include, you know, all of your provision, not just what you wear on your backs, but your food on the table, a roof over, shelter over your head. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see that? So, you're feeling all alone? You're questioning the future? You feel as if you've been abandoned? Maybe right now you're depressed, And by the way, all of this is inconsistent with what Christianity is, but let's get real. It happens even in the best of Christians. It's sort of like an oxymoron. I mean, you know, can we use the word abandoned in the same sentence as someone who is a Christian? It shouldn't be, but the truth of the matter is, it is, right? The best of Christians at times. I mean, think of some of the 
the greatest heroes of the Christian faith. Guys like Abraham, who couldn't trust the Lord, who lied about his wife's being his sister. How about David? Think about the, the, the sins that David uh, committed and at times not trusting the Lord. And, and yet in spite of those things, you know, David is recommended to us as a man after God's own heart. And Abraham is recommended to us as the father of the faith. Oh, there's great hope for you and me, right? God isn't finished with any of us, right? But there are just times when we, as Christians, the best of Christians, are discouraged and in despair. And why is that? Because we're not looking up to the heavens, right? We're not looking up to God. So your vision is entirely upon yourself. We need to look up. We need to realize that God is caring for you even in your downcast state. You certainly may not be aware of that because of the way things are turning out. They're not turning out the way that you hoped they would turn out. But nevertheless, God is there. God is working behind the scenes. He's pushing the buttons. He's pulling the strings. He's orchestrating all of the details, as I so often remind you. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, right? His intentions towards you are for peace. You can be sure of all of these things. It's going to work out. Just hang in there. So anyway, that's the first thing that we are encouraged to do in the scriptures. We are to look up to the heavens. But there are other places in the scriptures that we're told to look up to look up to other things. Well, what are some of those other things? Well, we are also to look up and see God the Father. And Jesus is certainly a great example of this. You know, I'm thinking about in John's Gospel in chapter 11, in verse 41, and let me set the stage for you, uh, Lazarus, who was one of Jesus' buddies, you know, Jesus didn't, Jesus himself said, foxes have holes, Birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lie down his head. He didn't have his own place, his own home. He didn't own, the, he didn't own a condo, right? And uh, if there was anything that was sort of close to a place of comfort or, or you know, a place where he could go uh, to sleep at night, it was in Martha, Mary's, and Lazarus's home there in the city of, of Bethany. And so Martha, Mary, and Lazarus had this very close relationship with Jesus. Now, we are told on one occasion that Lazarus had become ill, and his sickness was unto death. And now Lazarus, in fact, had expired, and he's, in the, uh, he's, been, he's been embalmed, he's been placed in the tomb, he's dead for now for three days, right? And, uh, and now Jesus comes back after a period of time, and he's standing at the very tomb where they had placed the body of Lazarus in. And before he cries out for Lazarus to come forth, he raises his head towards heaven. And in John's Gospel in chapter 11, in verse 41, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You know, when he, and when he got there on the scene, you know, there were, they were great Lament, lamenting going on. The people were crying and, uh, because of the, the love that they had uh, for uh, Lazarus. And, and the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. 
Now, why did Jesus weep? This is, an, you know, this is interesting, and this has been open uh, to speculation for a long time. A lot of people you know, have, uh, have misinterpreted Jesus weeping when he actually got to the tomb uh, where Lazarus uh, had been buried. He died and was placed in that tomb. You see, he saw the fruit and the result of Lazarus's passing. He knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. What do you think? He was surprised about what he was going to do, right? He looked around, all of those people, for, and particularly Martha and Mary, whom he loved greatly. Remember, he had this special bond and relationship with these two individuals as well as with Lazarus. But he saw the effect of his death upon these people whom he loved, and it broke his heart. And thus he entered into their grief. And he began to weep, the Bible tells us. He wasn't surprised at what he was about to do, but nevertheless, he took a moment, and then he looked towards the heavens, and he declared, John 11 and verse 41, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And then after his quick prayer, right, he called and he says, Lazarus. They rolled away the stone and then he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And that, man, I tell you something, that must have been some scene, right? Lazarus came forth like the mummy, right? You know, wrapped in the, the grave clothes. And he stinketh, as the Bible tells us as well. He had already expired three days there in the tomb. So anyway, the point is, are you weary? Well, simply tell God about it. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7, in verses 7 and 8, there we are told, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Let me give you another cross-reference. James chapter 4 and verse 2. You do not have simply because you do not ask. Could it possibly be as simple as that? As you look up to God the Father? You know, the way things are playing out in your life's experience? You want to change those things? Nothing's changed? Well, have you looked up to God the Father? Have you brought your request before Him? Right? You don't have because you simply don't ask. So what are those things that are lacking right now in your life? Is it wisdom? Maybe you're standing at a crossroads. You don't know which way to turn. You're considering a new job situation, uh, moving back out to California, getting involved in this relationship with someone of the opposite sex, whatever, going back to school to further your education, whatever, um, you're looking for a church, you're standing at a crossroads, well, simply lift up your eyes towards God the Father and ask Him to resolve some of those questions for you. And He will give you the wisdom. He'll give you the understanding. He'll provide for you the strength that is necessary. Listen, God wants to give good gifts to his children. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, 
and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.